0: I want to pick up our series. Again, like I've said, we're going through the book of Acts, looking at the narrative of Acts and looking at characters in Acts and how they followed, how they obeyed the Great Commission. And I want to speak this morning, not on on one person, but I want to to speak about two, um, if that's all right. A very, very famous couple in the Bible, Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla and Aquila are an incredible couple. And if you read their story, you'll notice they are never mentioned separately. They're never mentioned apart. They are just like Sandy and Danny in Greece. They go together. They are just like, I've given you some, some, uh, you know, examples up there. They are like Ben and Jerry. They go together. Kermit and Piggy, Batman and Robin, Bert and Ernie, Bill and Ben... Me and strawberry cheesecake, they go together and they should never, ever be separated. Um, but if you've got your Bibles, I want to just, if you can, just turn to Acts chapter 18 is where we'll pick up Priscilla and Aquila's story. Acts chapter 18, um, now just just kind of turn there, hold it in Acts chapter 18, because I want to start in Acts chapter 17, because just to give you a bit of context, um, Paul at this point is in Athens, and Paul is in Athens and he's he's waiting. We read that he's waiting for, for Timothy and Silas to catch him up. They've been in, in Thessalonica. Uh, Paul goes ahead to Athens, says to Timothy and Silas, Okay, guys, you catch me up, I'm going on ahead. And he's in Athens and he's coming to the end of what we would call his second missionary journey. He's been as far as he's gonna go, and he's on his way back. So he, he'll start his journey back towards. Jerusalem, and and we read that he spends time in Athens, and he spends time in Athens, and and he's trying to explain to the people about Jesus, but to be honest, he doesn't do a great job, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but he doesn't actually do a, a great job in Athens, because if you read Paul's speech in Acts chapter 17, he doesn't mention Jesus at all. He doesn't mention Jesus once, and what he's doing, he's, I think he's trying to play these, these Athenian philosophers. He's trying to play them at their own game. He's trying to be, uh, I can't even say it, philosophical, however you say it. He, he's trying to do that, and he's trying to play them at their own game, because the, the, the Athenians have got this concept of this unknown God, and Paul is going, listen, I know the unknown God. I know who he is, but Paul never names him. Now, he does have a little bit of success. He does convert a few people, but on the whole, the people are fairly unreceptive. They laugh at him, they mock him, um, they make fun of him. And, and the Greek in this basically says, Paul walked away. Paul okay, I'm done. And he walks away. So we've got Paul, he's going from Athens to Corinth. And he's a bit defeated. He might even be a bit deflated. He might feel frustrated. He's had a a huge knock to his pride. And he goes to Corinth, and that's where we pick up Acts chapter 18. And it says there he met Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla and Aquila, they're not from Corinth either, they're from Rome. They're Jewish Christians who've been kicked out of Rome previously because, because they were Jewish. There had been a riot in Rome in the previous year and the Jews got blamed for it. So the Roman Emperor Claudius decided, well, I'll just kick them all out. So he kicked all the Jews out of Rome just like that. And Priscilla and Aquila, they've got a tent making business. They are residents of Rome. They've got a home. They've got a business. They've got friends. They may even have family. And suddenly they've got to leave everything behind, pack up their belongings, pack up their business and go. They don't know where they're going. They haven't got a plan. They don't, have a, they don't have a backup. They have to essentially just start again, find a home, find a place to restart their business, find a Christian community. Everything about their lives has been uprooted and shifted and changed. And I want to just suggest that maybe there are some people here this morning, or even if you're watching online, you know how that feels. You know how that feels to have your whole life turned upside down. Something happens that you, maybe you didn't even see it coming. And everything is suddenly up in the air. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, that God, I think God uses difficult situations to get you where he wants you to be. I'm, I'm convinced of it, that God will use a difficult situation to get you where he wants you to be. Now, I'm not saying God causes difficult situations. I'm not saying that some things just happen, and if we're honest, sometimes we don't help ourselves. Sometimes there's nothing we could have done. And God doesn't cause situations, but what I do think He does. Is he uses them to get us to move. He uses them to get us to shift either our mindset or our attitudes or, or our relationships. It might be our job. It might even be our location. Just something I'm convinced about, and I'm still, I remain convinced about it, I don't think God caused COVID. I do not think God caused COVID. But what I am convinced of is God said, right, here's an opportunity to get the church to shift. Here's an opportunity to get the church to move, for actually for us to be more connected with our communities, for us to increase our reach into our communities, actually for us to upgrade our thinking when it comes to reaching the lost and the hurting and the poor. And and for some of you, maybe you might even be here today because at some point in your life, God used a difficult situation and it got you to shift. Maybe you're watching online and because you've been in a difficult situation, you're looking for hope. You're looking for peace. Maybe you're looking for a bit of joy. Maybe you're looking for community. Maybe you're looking for answers about God, and it's come because something in your heart has caused you to take that step and begin to make your shifts because God is using a difficult situation to get you where he wants you to be. I heard a story once about an American battleship, and this battleship was going through the sea, and it discovered a blip on its radar. And this is a huge American battleship. And they they kept moving, and they realized they were heading straight towards this blip. Now, visibility wasn't great, and they they couldn't see what it was. So they tried to radio this other ship and, and try to get this other ship to change course. And this is the conversation. So this is the Americans. Unidentified vessel, please divert your course 15 degrees north to avoid a collision. There's a silence. Over the radio, the reply comes, Recommend you divert your course 15 degrees south to avoid a collision. Well, the Americans reply, This is the captain of a U.S. Navy battleship. I say again, divert your course. The reply comes back, No, you divert your course. The Americans reply, this is the aircraft carrier USS Abraham Lincoln. This is the second largest craft in the United States fleet. We are armed with four surface-to-air missile launchers, six cannons, four fighter bombers, and two attack helicopters. I demand you change your course 15 degrees north, or we will use hostile force to ensure the safety of this ship. There's a silence. The voice comes back. This is a lighthouse. (laughs) Do you know, sometimes we can just carry on and we can expect the blip to move. And we can expect everything to move around us and maybe there's been or there is a blip on your radar and it's saying to you, you need to shift. You need to take a change of course and when we look at, at Priscilla and Aquila, when we look at their lives, they have to move. There is a blip on their radar telling them, you've got to go. And they're uncertain and they're unsure. But what they do, and I encourage you that that if you do this, you'll you'll just find hope in a tough situation, is they keep their focus on the goodness of God. Their focus is, is steadfast on the goodness of God. And if you are going through a season where things just seem a little uncertain, can I encourage you that God is working? Last March, me and Hannah sat in the office upstairs and, and Britain had shut down. We got through it. And God worked. And God is still working. I'm convinced, and I was convinced on that day that I am convinced on this day that when Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you, he meant it. That I'm convinced, you know, God says he knows the plans he has for us. They are plans for good their plans to give us a future and a hope when we pray God will listen if we look for him what will happen we'll find him and in your life and I don't want to put a downer on this in your life guess what you're going to have struggles in your life you will have problems in fact Jesus promises it he says in this world you will have trouble and you might be thinking great thanks Jesus thanks a lot But then Jesus says this, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Where will you have trouble? In the world. What's Jesus overcome? The world. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. You know, Jesus has overcome it. Jesus is there, and and our perspective is is vital. That while we're going through trials, while we're going through troubles, if we can fix our eyes on Jesus, you know, that, that famous song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, and the things of this earth will what? They'll grow dim. They'll just fade away. And if you can stay in a place of faith, stay in a place of praise, you know, God is working. God's working to bring together his plans. You know, Paul's perspective on this. He says in 2 Corinthians, I'm pressed down, but I'm not crushed. I'm confused, but I'm not quitting. I am hunted, but I'm not hiding. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. Why? Because greater is he that is in me is in the world. And I'm certain that God who began, who began the good work in me will what? Continue it. How will he continue it? Will he continue it until it's finally finished? So I'm going to live my life with the attitude that, you know what? If God hasn't finished working, I haven't finished waiting. And I'm going to live my life focusing on the goodness of God because he uses difficult situations to get me where he wants me to be. And so we have Priscilla and Aquila. So they, they've come from Rome to Corinth. And Paul has come from Athens to Corinth. And he's frustrated. He's beaten. Actually, you can tell this because in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says to the Corinthians, hey, I didn't come to you in strength. I came to you in weakness. I didn't come to you with clever arguments. I came to you plain. Why? Because he'd learned his lesson in Athens. And he comes to Corinth, and he's probably a little bit defeated. And then suddenly they meet. Both these groups of people, confused, maybe fearful, frustrated, they come together and in fact they become so close that Paul mentions them as his co-workers. And Paul, I don't know if you know this, was a tent maker. Priscilla and Aquila were Tent makers. The Greek says they were skenopios, which is basically workers of leather, anyone that made anything with, with leather. It's different to a tanner. A tanner is the, the maker of leather. A skenopios is the person who uses it to make something. And usually that involved making... Tense, And we know Paul would have worked to support himself on his travels in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says that, I, you know, I'm weary from the work of my own hands. He was working to support himself. He probably worked in Thessalonica. He probably worked in Ephesus. He probably worked while he was under house arrest in Rome. And Paul believed in work. Paul believed in supporting himself. And actually, if you read his letter to the church in Thessalonica, in Thessalonica, he 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 says about the people there that they're living in idleness, and they're busybodies, not doing any work. And and Paul's agenda was he was going to work to support himself, so the church wouldn't have to. Now he he believed, and when you read Paul's letters, he believes in churches supporting their ministers. He believed in that, but he chose not to. Why? Because Paul wasn't the minister. Paul never led a church. Paul just wanted the ability to go in and preach and spread the gospel and not be a burden on the church because it wasn't his church. He wanted to support himself. And in 1 Corinthians, he says that he wants to make the gospel basically free of charge. And I love what he says. He says, what is my pay? My pay is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. It's like the NHS. Free at the point of need free at the point of delivery. Now, I made a decision that when we came to Newbridge that if I ever did a wedding here, ever did a funeral here for someone who was a member, I wouldn't charge. And I made that decision because, actually, my pay is an opportunity to preach the good news. And that's the way I look at that, because actually my opportunity, my pay is the opportunity to speak the good news of Jesus into the lives of people who are coming in who might never hear it, that actually they get to hear the transforming message of Jesus. So I will do everything I can to make the gospel free of charge. And it's a personal decision I made because I want to make the gospel free at the point of need. I hope someone agrees with me, Um, (laughs) because I think it's important. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but if you, if you uh, you'd go to a synagogue, in ancient synagogues, you would sit in specific places according to your profession. Now, we know that men and women sat together, but actually there's, there's writings that suggest that, that men would sit according to their profession. So you'd have all the shopkeepers, you'd have all the, the bricklayers, you'd have the, the tent makers, the, the criminal psychologists, and you'd have all these people kind of sat in their you know, occupational groups, and Paul, even though he was a rabbi, he would sit with the tent makers and he meets priscilla and aquila and they they become his his partners in ministry and we see that they they set up shop here in corinth and and i love the idea that they just pick up their tools and they take them with them that wherever they go wherever they've landed even though they've shifted even though their life has turned around they've still got their tools Everything around them might have changed, but who they are didn't change. They were still being who they were, and they didn't have to go and learn a new trade. They didn't have to go and learn a new way of doing things. And you know, if if God moves you, I'm convinced it's because he wants you and your gifts somewhere else. He wants your gifts in a new place. He wants you to use what you have to make a difference in that new place. And actually, he'll open up doors for you to do it. We all know, and I read it earlier, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. But very, very few of us know Jeremiah 29, verse 4, which is in the same chapter. It's all in the same context. And God is saying to the exiles in Babylon, listen, I know I'm moving you, but listen, don't moan about it. Don't worry about it. In fact, I want you to go and build homes. I want you to go and start a new life. I want you to go and settle. I want you to go and work. He actually says, work for the peace and prosperity of the place I'm sending you. Go and work. I'm not changing who you are. I'm just changing where you are. Go and work. Love this new place. Love the people, because the more you put into this place, its welfare will determine your welfare. The more you put into this place, the more you're going to get out. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they find a shop, they move in, they set up business before long. They're basically running the church from their home, Priscilla and Aquila. And I personally think it was more Priscilla than Aquila. They were leading this church in their house. Now, it wasn't in a church building. It was in a shop, probably above a shop. And that's why the message of Jesus spread so quickly, because it wasn't locked away in a church, but it was in a house. It was in flats, shops, it was accessible, it was part of everyone's everyday lives. And it wasn't just restricted to a Sunday, it was part of their life, it was part of their their worship, it was part of their work. It was what they did, and there was actually no divide. And and, and I want to suggest that, that God calls us to use our occupation as our ordination. God calls us to use our occupation as our ordination. Now, if you're saying to me, haha, well, I get out of it, I'm retired. No, you're not. You're just being recycled. Because there are still gifts, there are still abilities, there are still things within you that God has called you to work. You know, if God has put you in a place, He's put you there to be His minister. If God has put you somewhere, that's where you have been placed to be his minister. Wherever you work, wherever you go, whatever bus you catch, God has placed you uniquely in that place to make a difference. And you know as, as a for me as a, as a minister, there are certain opportunities I get to go and, and share my faith. There are certain opportunities I get to share the love and the hope of Jesus. I love doing weddings. I actually if I can say this being as, as delicate as I can, I like doing funerals. Because it's an incredible opportunity to speak about hope and speak about life and speak about Jesus. But there are some places I can't go. Now, if I was a plumber or if I was an electrician, suddenly I've got access to people's homes suddenly i 'm in a door that, that i don 't have an op- i don 't normally have an access to because i wouldn 't be invited into that place now now you, you do it respectfully, you do it tactfully, you do it carefully you, you might not have to witness to them you just share the life of Jesus. you just reflect the, the fruit of Jesus you know if you 're a teacher or if you 're a nurse or you work with people day to day you have an incredible Mission field and an opportunity to bring joy, to bring positive influence into your place of work. There'll there'll be places you go, all of you will go somewhere tomorrow that I may never set foot in. That's the truth. That's your mission field. That is your mission field. So what do you do? You work for it. You work for its peace. You work for its prosperity. You pray for it. You pray for the people in it. And I promise you, the more you put in, the more you'll get out. Because that's what we see with Priscilla and Aquila. They start the church in Corinth. This church begins to grow. It begins to thrive. And it says that Paul spends 18 months with them. They settle in Corinth, 18 months. Paul, essentially, he sleeps on their sofa for 18 months. Now, where's Paul? Paul's in the synagogue. It says in Acts 18, verse 4, every Sabbath, every Saturday, Paul is in the synagogue. During the week, he's working. He's earning a living. And we have this incredible dynamic where Paul is, is preaching on the Sabbath, but Priscilla and Aquila are leading the church. And, 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 and they all work together. They support the church financially, they give it somewhere to base itself. Um, and we'll, we'll come on to kind of Priscilla and Aquila in a little bit. But what happens next is Priscilla and Aquila meet someone called. Apollos. And if you move to Acts 18.26, they meet this man called Apollos. And Apollos is a, is a street preacher. He's uh, He grabs their attention. Apollos is smart. He's intelligent. He knows the, 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 the scriptures. He's cultured. Um, actually, if you um, talk to a lot of biblical scholars, there's a big argument that Apollos is the author of Hebrews because of the style, because of the content. There's a big argument that, that suggests Apollos wrote the book that we have as Hebrews. Now, I don't know who wrote Hebrews but there's a a strong argument for him we don't know a lot about Apollos we know he came from Alexandria in Egypt but he will end up becoming a contemporary of Paul but what we can guess is that Apollos was originally a disciple of John the Baptist and we see this because Luke writes this he says he'd been taught the way of the Lord and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy however he only knew about John's baptism and so apollos kind of knows the bible up to a point he knows the old testament but all he's got up to is is john's baptism he doesn't know about jesus death he doesn't know about jesus resurrection he doesn't know about the holy spirit and actually he's not alone when Paul journeys through Acts, it says later on he'd meet 12 men in Ephesus who were in exactly the same position. They didn't know Jesus had died. They did, certainly didn't know he'd come back to life. And they didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And there's a suggestion that these were a group of people who, when Jesus and John were baptizing, it says they were baptizing on opposite sides of the Jordan. And they would, Apollos possibly would have gone, got baptized by John the Baptist, and then gone home. And he didn't know anything else. He knew there was someone coming. He knew there was someone coming to prepare the way. He knew the Messiah was coming. And he knew all about repentance. He knew about baptism. But he didn't know about Jesus. He didn't know about the death and resurrection of Jesus. He didn't know about the Holy Spirit. You know, this is essentially Apollo's creed. No one watches Rocky. Okay, wasted joke. We'll cut that out of the live stream. Rob got it, good. But this is what he knows. This is all he knows. And this is what he believes. And Apollos is teaching. He's a good teacher. He's teaching about repentance. But he's only giving half the story because he didn't know and he didn't understand about the impact of Jesus' death. He didn't understand the impact of his resurrection. And he didn't know about the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Apollos only had half the story. But he took what he knew And he used it. And I want to suggest that if we take what we know and we use it, God will give us more. There'll be more to use. Why do I know that? Because it says in Jesus says in Luke chapter eight, pay attention to how you hear. Those that listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But those who are not listening, even what they think they understand, will be taken away from them. One translation says, to him who has more will be given. And I think Jesus is saying here, listen, if you listen to this teaching, if you grab hold of this, if you own it, if you claim it, if you believe it, if you practice it, if you live it, you'll get more. And the more you use, the more you'll get. And it's, it's that old saying, use it or lose it. And Apollos doesn't know the full story, but he uses what he has. And what happens, Priscilla and Aquila, they come along and they give him more. And we see Priscilla and Aquila, they, they, they give him more. And I want to suggest today that even if you take one thing away, even if it's a bad joke about a battleship, if you take that away and you grab hold of it, and you go and live that principle out, no matter how small it is, if you go and just live that out, God will give you more. And that's what happens with Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. It says that Priscilla and Aquila, they heard him preaching. They took him aside and explained the way to God more accurately. The Greek would suggest it's Priscilla who does the teaching. And they start to explain the full scope of the gospel. They start to explain about Jesus' death and resurrection. They start to explain about the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, Apollos' ministry explodes And he becomes an incredible evangelist. And what is interesting to me with Priscilla and Aquila, they see the problem, but they focus on the potential. They can see that Apollos isn't quite there yet. They know he's only got half the story. They see the problem, but they focus on his potential. They focus on who he could be and so they encourage him. They correct him. Listen, Apollos, you, you, you've got a lot of knowledge here. You've got a lot of potential, but there's just some more we need to give you. Let us fill you in. Now, they don't shout at him. They don't tear him down. They don't tear it apart. his theology. They don't tell him he needs to repent. They just say, hey, listen, you've got something. I can see something in you, but we just need to correct this first. And I want to suggest that, you know, God calls us to disciple other people. That we don't see people for their problems. We see people for their potential. When we walk through the high street, we don't, and we look at the community, we don't look at the problems. Now, the problems are there. Let's not shy away from that. But we don't focus on the problem. We say, okay, God, what could you do? What's the potential here? And when we meet people in our community and we say, Do you know what? I'm going to draw out that potential inside you. I'm going to make a decision to disciple you, to come alongside you and draw out what's inside you. And you know, I believe that anyone, old, poor, rich, uh, young, black, white, Christian, or non Christian, every single person has a next step. All of us. We all have a next step and a potential inside us. Everyone has a potential that we can, we can move into. And, and as a church, we just want to say, listen, okay, here's where you are. Let us help you take your next step. God calls us to disciple others. I'm going to write the band back up and join me just so, as I finish with one last thing. Because before this happens, um, we're, we're still in Acts 18, before... Um, priscilla and aquila meet apollos you'll notice they meet apollos in ephesus um because what happens is is 18 months paul and priscilla and aquila they've been in act in in corinth for 18 months and suddenly paul goes right i'm off again and he takes priscilla and aquila with him and they and they've planted this church they've settled they started a business but suddenly 18 months they're off again and they move and they start to go And I was thinking about this, you know, 18 months when you look at a a, a toddler, it's about 18 months they start to walk. About 18 months that thing changes and I was just wondering in a practical sense, you know, Priscilla and Aquila, they've been there 18 months into a new city, a new environment, a new culture. They've set up shop, they've settled and they're just learning to walk. They've just figured their way around. They've just started to kind of know the places to go, know the places to avoid, know the shortcuts. They've learned the rhythm of the city. And as they begin to settle, as they begin to get comfortable, they move again. And it's a risk. And actually, Paul says that it costs them because Paul says they risked their lives for him. And I want to suggest that when we look at Priscilla and Aquila and a load of other people in the Bible, we see a lot of people that God called to leave comfort behind. That God called to leave comfort behind. Now, I am not saying, now he may be, but I'm not saying God is telling you to pack up and move house to, to Bangladesh or, or Mumbai or Baghdad or Newport I'm joking. But I do believe God calls us to step out of comfort. I do believe God calls us to step out of comfort. And, and Paul says, you know, because Priscilla and Aquila, because they stepped out of comfort, Paul's grateful and so are the churches. So are the believers. The impact they had didn't make a difference in Paul's life. It made a difference in everyone's life. Generations of believers would be affected because Priscilla and Aquila took a risk. Because they were prepared to not be comfortable. And I want to close with this, that I believe God is calling us to leave comfort behind. And I want to ask a provocative question. I'm not looking for an answer, but when was the last time you took a risk? I'm not talking about doing something silly, but I'm talking about when was the last time you took a risk for Jesus? When was the last time you took a risk for the gospel? When was the last time you stepped out of comfort and spoke to that person you knew you'd been meaning to speak to? When was the last time you stepped out and said, you know what, I've wanted to pray for that person for ages, but today I'm going to actually ask them. Today I'm going to speak to them. I just want to provoke that in you. When was the last time? Maybe God's prompting you to serve. Maybe God's prompting you to give, to give your time, to give your talents. Maybe even in your financial giving, maybe God is just prompting you you know, take a risk on this. I, I firmly believe it's, whether it's your time, whether it's your treasure, whether it's your talents, the more you put in, the more you get out. You know, someone once wrote, if you want to walk on water, you've got to step out of the boat. And it might cost. And it might be uncomfortable, but I'm convinced the Bible says you will get more out than you put in. God is always looking to push us deeper. He's always looking to, to get us to take that next step, to be uncomfortable. And why did Priscilla and Aquila do this? They didn't have to. They did it for the gospel. They did it because of what Jesus did for them. Because, you know, Jesus didn't risk his life for, for Priscilla and Aquila. Jesus gave his life for them. He gave his life for me. He gave his life for you and he did it so not that we would be comfortable but he did it so we'd make a difference. And so you might be here this morning or you might be watching online and you might be thinking, do you know what? I'm not comfortable. There there must be something more. And I want to suggest, especially if you're not a Christian, that might just be God nudging you to take a step. To take a risk. I, don't, I don't think God's got a concept of risk, but I know we do. So it's the best way I've got of explaining it. But God is saying, listen, take a step. But don't do it thinking you can stay comfortable because you can't. You have to go all in. You have to go all in. If you don't go all in, you'll stay frustrated. But I'll tell you what, God says in his presence, there is fullness of joy. So wherever you are on your journey, Christian, non christian Can I encourage you to just, in your prayers this week, to say, okay, God, make me uncomfortable. Now, that is a brave prayer to pray. But I want to encourage you to pray it. God, make me uncomfortable. Because I want to experience the, the, you know, like a roller coaster. Roller coasters are never comfortable. But I've never heard anyone come off a roller coaster not laughing or not being exhilarated by the thrill God I want to know that thrill I want to know that joy I want to know the exhilaration of serving you of knowing that, that my life has made a difference because I gave up my comfort So we stand and pray together so Father God this morning we want to trade our comfort for your call God, we want to trade our comfort for your commissioning. God, make us uncomfortable. God, would you give us a holy niggle? Help us to live uncomfortable lives that we're prepared to go wherever you want us to go, to use what you've given us to use, to reach who you've called us to reach. God, we know that we are blessed to be Blessing, we are called, we are highly favored, we are anointed to do your good works so that we can go out into this world that we would see hearts revived, hope restored, and lives rebuilt. So, God, send us out this week, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.